Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Okay, and here we are today. We're with uh, Dwyer Brown. Dwyer is a film and television actor, of course. He has been in many things, The Thorn Birds, Quantum Leap, Criminal Minds, The Guardian, um, Ghost Whisperer, and, and the one that probably everybody knows him from is uh, Field of Dreams. Um, probably one of my favorite movies of all time, if not the, my most favorite scene of all time. You played John Kinsella, the father of Kevin Costner's character in the movie. Uh, he also, he wrote in 2014 a memoir entitled If You Build It, uh, and you described it as Father's Fate and Field of Dreams. The book is awesome. I, I read the book last week or the week before, um, and I want to talk about that a little bit. So welcome. I appreciate well, you being here. Thank you, and thanks for your kind words about the book. Oh, sure, absolutely. Could you tell me um, a little bit about your life when you were growing up, and um, how did acting start to, to play a role in your life, or when did acting start to play a role in your life? Uh, well, gosh, uh... My, I have an older sister and an older brother, and they sort of started into acting. Uh, when I was eight years old, my dad moved us from suburbia to this farm in the middle of nowhere in this house that was, I mean, it was in such bad condition. The farmer who, who sold us the 52 acres on which it sat was throwing the house for free. So that tells you what kind of shape it is. Everybody figured they'd just tear it down, but my dad wanted to fix it up anyway. I guess I started doing, uh, you know, theater and puppet shows and, you know, shows at the town hall or in, in school or at the church because it got me out of work around the farm, <laughs> to be honest. And and it was just, you know, uh, uh, it was a respite from the kind of we were way out in the middle of nowhere, you know, just three or four houses within walking distance. And, you know, so it was, uh, you know, it was probably out of self-preservation. And you talked about in your book about your father. Um, I'm sure a lot of people can relate. He would he would just take on projects within the house um, all the time. So they were uh, something was always going on. Yeah, he had a full time job with Firestone Rubber Company as a, as an architect. But all of I don't know how he did it. All of his spare time, you know, on weekends was digging in the basement or tearing down a wall or putting up drywall or fixing the plumbing. I mean. I, I, I really, when I, now that I'm grown up and I have my own houses that I fix up, I, I just don't know how he did it with a full-time job, you know, but mm -hmm. it, it was, there was always some usually tedious job to be done. Through his, through the, for, through his whole life? Uh, yeah, actually, gosh, to be honest, he, the house never even got finished in his lifetime. Uh, when he passed and my mom ended up selling the farm cause it was just too much for her, uh, there was still work to be done. And in fact, the, the man who bought it sort of undid everything my dad had spent 25 or 30 years doing and, you know, made it his own home, which I, I can't fault him for, but, you know, it was hard to see, like, that was my childhood, you know, plastered onto the walls and, and, you know, cemented into the basement. So it was, uh, you know, it's just one of those things that you learn as you get older in life that, you know, nothing is permanent. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so you, you went into to, to escape into acting when you were younger. Um, when did you realize that you had a skill for it or a knack for it? Oh, gosh, I don't know. I don't know if I've realized that yet. 
but you know, the other thing I did was sports. You know, that was another thing that was a legitimate thing that my parents would let us do. So my brothers and I were in sports year round and did plays whenever we could. So um, I knew I loved, I really liked it. And I went to college. I, of course, I went to a different level of training in it and then really started to get fit. But even at that, I was going to go be, I was going to go work in advertising because that was something I thought I could write and, you know, maybe get an advertising and get to New York and then I'd start auditioning. It's kind of a, I mean, that's how naive I was as a, as a, you know, little farm boy. But um, I think instead I couldn't get a job in advertising. So I went to Chicago and tried to get into Second City and improv and all that stuff, which just really excited me. And it was there, I think, that I learned that, wow, there is a lot to this. You know, this this is a much deeper well of uh, of an art form than I had even imagined. But it it spurred me on rather than frustrated me. And I knew that what I liked about it was that I knew that no matter how good I got, I could always get better. And I, I liked that aspect. In school, school had come fairly easy to me. So, uh you know, I like the idea that the challenge was never over and it was sort of subjective rather than objective, you know. Do you, do you remember your first paid, like officially you got a, a check or, or, or cash yeah. for, for a job? Well, I I managed to get in a summer theater company, the Organic Theater in Chicago. And I don't know if, I, I think that was paid. It was almost nothing. But the, the, the other job I got was, uh, it was a McDonald's, film they were making called Trials of a Linebacker, where I sort of played an, a high school uh, linebacker who was an alcoholic. Uh, and I was in it with Aiden Quinn, who's who's kind of still has a TV show on now. And uh, but that movie never came out. But it was probably my first paycheck of, of substance, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, I, and I, I'm not an actor, so I don't understand. But I do understand rejection. Um, is it tough for you? Uh, so you're going to you know, a lot of auditions and I'd assume that just like a baseball player, yeah. um, you're getting, you know, struck out or struck down or, or is it tough? I can tell you, I have a terrible batting average, even amongst actors. I think I would get, you know, I was probably batting under a hundred, uh, as far as as many auditions as I went to, to ones I got, um, for some reason that rejection didn't bother me. I mean, it hurts your feelings in the moment, but if if I had, I mean, only now in my, you know, in, in in looking back at my career, I can't believe that I even did that. For someone who had sort of low self-esteem and not a lot of confidence, I don't know how I kept throwing myself into the fray, you know, day after day, week after week. I I really, but but to me that says that somehow I had reconciled that in my brain as not failure or not ultimate failure at least that's the other good you know the good thing at least about television in that era was there was always another job you know hopefully coming down the pike i mean i had some very lean times but i made up for a low batting average by getting to the plate a lot of times <laughs> did you ever think of quitting during those, those lean times a few times um and I, I write about that a little in the book that I, I mean, I realize you realize so much the older you get because you watch your own patterns and you can see them in their entirety. So you you have a better uh, uh, vantage point. But uh, I think quitting was the one thing that I felt that I could do. I have control over that, you know. So the times I quit, I you know, damn it, you know, I give up, you know. And and then unfortunately, the the one time or the one of the times that I did that, I became a carpenter because I had all these skills from <laughs> helping my dad build this 150-year-old house. But I, um, <clears throat> I decided to get. I ended up with getting a job as a set carpenter. So I'm working on sets where I'm, you know, working my butt off and dragging these huge pieces of scenery around and wrestling around with all this stuff. And then after we'd work for a week or ten, you know, ten days, then you know, they'd call the actors in and these guys would come in in their bathrobes and sit there with their script and read and, oh, uh, yeah, I, I can't do anymore. I have to go back to my, you know, and I just like, oh, it made me so frustrated. I thought, oh, here, you know, that that's what I want to be doing. And to spend 10 days making it all nice for them so they can go in the, you know, in their air conditioned dressing room and then come back for the show, I thought, okay, 
that's what I want to be doing. But if I can't get enough work, I just have to be a better actor. So I would just go back into training, you know, the way you probably would as an athlete who's not quite getting out of AAA or whatever, you know, you'd, you've got to double down, you know, if, if you want to do it. And did seeing those people who, who, uh, maybe didn't appreciate what they had actors at the time or actresses, um, did that help you as your success came in to appreciate the, the moments that you were in? Yeah, you've been I mean, on you've been on some pretty uh, decent shows uh, that I'm sure everybody loves. If I just run down the list, could you appreciate the moment? Yeah, I think I think that's the f- effect it had on me. Was okay. I had already worked on some shows, but then I quit. So I I, I could remember like, oh god, that was nice to kind of be in the Thornbirds. Everybody's treating you like you're special. You're getting all this you know treatment, but. Uh, you know, that's a double-edged sword, as I'm sure it is for guys who are in AAA. There's people who are making it who you think, man, I am better than them. How are they in there? And there's a million reasons for that. You know, the the team has committed to them. They've got so much tied up in their contract. They can't bump them down to AAA. You've got to be so much better than them to to keep them from looking like idiots for bringing this guy in or whatever whatever it is. Or, or you know, imagine the guy who's playing behind Derek Jeter at shortstop in the, in the Yankees organization or Cal Ripken, you know, that they're, they're screwed, you know, they're behind a guy who's going to play every game for, you know, 20 years or something. And I think sometimes that frustration is, is overwhelming, but at the same time, you can also go, that guy is not as good as I am. I can make it in this, or, you know, you have those little encounters where some, some actor or some player says, dude, you're good, man. You just got to get a chance. If you straighten out this thing, your swing, you can, you know, so I was, I guess, in that boat, almost everything about an acting career or, you know, maybe any career is that anything can be a positive or a negative. It just depends on how you take it. And sometimes both, you know, you get down and then you get, you know, then you get tough, you know, so so all those things, I, I, there were many actors who just were so frustrating because they wouldn't, they weren't doing any of the right things and they're succeeding. And here right. I'm trying to be perfect and do this and failing. It was, you know, it's, it's mind boggling because you can't figure out what it is that you're doing wrong or, you know, or it's just not your time, you know. And sometimes it's not you. It's not your fault. You just said yeah. that. So, totally. Or it's completely arbitrary that you could do nothing about. But it doesn't mean it doesn't hurt your feelings and doesn't frustrate you and all that stuff too yeah you talked in the book it's a good story maybe you could tell it about being cut um from the baseball team <laughs> I, I loved the story could you tell everybody about that yeah it's unfortunately yeah, not much to it but i uh, you know i played little league and i had my ups and downs in little league but as a freshman in order to play sports year-round i tried out for the baseball team as a freshman in high school and i got cut you know, and, uh, you know, looking at the list, you know, you're running into the locker room and looking down, uh, okay, not there, you know. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the, the only thing I can say about that now is that it's my picture that's in the Baseball Hall of Fame. <laughs> I didn't really do it through baseball. I sort of snuck in the back door, but I, you know, I, I'm there, you know, and, and I think it counts nonetheless, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. That's awesome. Um, so how did you come about um... – did you audition for Field of Dreams? It was just an audition that came down like any other. There was sort of nothing spectacular about it other than I had read the book Shoeless Joe on which it's based and, and what the film was called, in fact, when we shot it uh, and loved it. Uh, this was like in college. A friend of mine gave it to me and I just thought it was a great story. So anytime you audition for something that you love, it it makes it that much more difficult and more rewarding if you get it. And it was kind of a long wait for, for, to find out, you know, and I just had, I, as I recall, I just had that one audition with, with Phil Robinson in the room and you, you second guess everything, you know, just, just, you know, it was very much like baseball, you know, you kind of, oh gosh, did I swing too early on that? Did I, oh, I didn't see, you know, whatever it is. And unfortunately I don't, you don't get a second chance at that, at that role, you know, sometimes, I mean, frequently you'll get, you know, callbacks and all that stuff, but, uh, yeah, so it was it was just an audition like any other, and and but all the more exciting because uh, I'd, I'd read the book. And so, you played sports in in, in high school uh, when you were growing up. Um, being in a baseball movie, so baseball is very emotional. It's it's people can be happy, they can be angry, they can be screaming at the players on the field. 
um, I guess it's the same as as a movie. You're trying to to get those emotions out of people, and the scene that you're in is a very emotional scene for for well for me and probably the the thousands of people you've ran into who who tell you how important that scene is to people. Um, did you know it at the time? I mean, in your book, you ha- you talked about your relationship with your father. Um, did you ever put two and two together that, wow, I'm in this movie and this scene is all about a father and a, and a son? And um... Yeah, I think the... I, I Partially because the way the book is set up for, for, for your listeners out there who've read the book, the father does not play the big key part in that story the way Phil... Robinson adapted the movie to go. The father is introduced very early in the show and they sort of have little conversations, Ray and John, but there isn't this climactic moment there. He appears, uh, you know, uh, surprise, surprisingly, you know, it's everything. So I guess I was basing a lot of my performance on, on what I'd read in the book. And so it was the, the idea that it became such an iconic part of the movie was a surprise to me. I, I didn't know that until we saw the screening of the movie. For some reason, I just thought my little character was just tying up the last loose ends of the of the movie. And in fact, when when I did audition, I sort of wanted to try out for a bigger part. <laughs> you know, I would rather be you know one of the other eight band ball players or all those guys. But you know, I'm certainly grateful that I you know that that didn't happen because it was only when I saw the movie that I thought, oh my gosh, the whole movie has been moving towards my character's appearance and certainly the beautiful score that James Horner put under made the whole movie feel like a, you know, a a storm coming out of the prairie that's moving towards this final, uh, you know, uh, confrontation with father and son. So those were things I couldn't have, I mean, I didn't uh, imagine. And I don't think I was alone. I, I mean, I remember all of us watching that, you know, we're the ones who made the movie, the, you know, the gaffer and the electricians and the set builders are all sitting in this, you know, room and, and uh, watching the screening a couple of days before it comes out. And we were all like mouths gaping, tears pouring down our face. And we were the ones who were in it. You know, it was my face up there and I'm still crying. So I knew then that something was much bigger than than our, you know, individual participation in it. How soon after did did people start to realize when they saw you somewhere that, Hey, you're the, you're that guy. Well, it was pretty quickly. I mean, it didn't happen like in big crowds or anything like that, but it would usually be guys, first of all, and it would be guys who probably were athletes and probably baseball players. And, you know, it would just be, you know, happened in grocery stores and in airline, you know, in airports, people would be like, you you look so familiar. Did I go to high school with you? And I'd be like, uh, no, I'm I'm from Ohio. So, and then the, oh my God, you you look like that guy who was in Field of Dreams. And I was like, well, I I actually am that guy in Field of Dreams. And you know, eight times out of ten, they would just start almost immediately crying or telling me about their dad and how much that movie meant to them. And and so I would end up, you know, hugging these strangers and and telling him about my dad who who died a month before I went to go shoot that movie. And we would end up hugging and, you know, people are looking at us strangely. I'm in an airport hugging this guy. And, you know, like it, it was, but it was moving for me because I lost my dad and I never got to watch the movie with my dad. So I would live vicariously through them. And I think they would live vicariously through their father, through me, you know, getting one more hug from their dad, you know, and, and that was kind of a, a strange but beautiful thing. I mean, and really, when I got a chance to think about it, it was really what I got into acting for, because uh, I had grown up in a household where emotions were, you know, don't cry or I'll give you something to cry about and, you know, all those kind of things. And it's why I pursued acting, I think, was because my dad and my mom in the, you know, in general farm country, nobody was being emotional. That's just not something that happens there. So I was looking for that. And I, I, I found it through acting. I learned how to express those emotions, how to use my feelings to make other people access their feelings. And so here I was in this movie and it's, you know, it still happens 31 years after I made this movie, people still get emotional when they see me. And 
I try to honor that and, you know, be, be as present with them and, you know, talk to them about whatever they want to talk about. You know, usually it's, you know, just that, gosh, I miss my dad or it's my dad never played catch with me. And, you know, I, I've been traveling around to minor league stadiums. I did 40 last year and I play catch with fans. You know, I, I get to be that, you know, and it's, it, it sounds kind of corny and weird, but it's, I try to take it as seriously as someone will let me. People get awkward too, but if somebody wants to go deep with me about their dad or something, I, I try to, you know, I try to go there with them because I, I, to me, that's, that's what life is about is understanding ourselves, our, and, and, and most of that we pack into our emotions. What's, do you remember like maybe the most amazing story somebody's told you that just, you can't get out of your head wow. that you could tell? Gosh. I mean, I put many of them in the book, but I mean, overwhelmingly it's people missing their dads or, or not speaking to their dads for 10 years, having had some fight and they watch that movie and it totally tears them up because, you know, they're, it cuts through the anger to the soft feelings underneath. And, and then they would go take their dad, say, dad, I know, I know we're not talking, but come with me to this movie. And they'd sit and watch the movie. And then the movie itself would untangle all that mess and let them have a relationship again. Now that was common, but to me, almost the most profound that a movie could have that effect, that you could change somebody's relationship just by having a story that's also fun to watch and funny and entertaining and all that stuff. I mean, there are people who told me they changed careers. There's a guy whose dad was missing in action during the Korean War, and the movie indirectly helped him create an organization that found these fathers. And it turned out there were dozens of others who, who the government had been told were missing when in fact they had real information that their planes had been shot down, but they, for public relation reasons, didn't want to, you know, and I mean, that's sad that the father's still gone, but for this guy, you know, this made me amazed, this guy who talked to me, he got to get his dad's uh, remains, or not even his remains, but he got to have his dad buried in Arlington Cemetery. Wow. That meant the world to him. You know, the guy's been gone for, you know, 40 years, but or I think it was closer to 50 years when the whole thing went down. But he and, you know, a couple dozen other people finally got their dads buried in Arlington Cemetery. I and mean, it's just obviously it's a, a grave without remains, but it's so meaningful to them to take that chapter and say, yes, my dad was a hero. He didn't desert me. He's not missing. He's not being, you know, tortured somewhere. This is what happened. And we got the government to finally give us the truth. And, you know, that's powerful, you know, from a movie. I mean, that's that to me is what is why I got into movies. I think it, I wish more movies and television had such high aspirations uh, or, or had such success in changing people's lives. That has to be an amazing feeling to uh, to be able to bring those emotions out and from people who who normally probably wouldn't let those emotions out. Yeah, I swear people sometimes tell me things, you know, quietly you know, right, you know, whispering to me things that they maybe never told anybody. And I'm just this stranger. I'm this actor, you know, it's, it's mind boggling to me. That's why I, I take it seriously, even though, you know, even though it's kind of just weird, you know, I'm a stranger, but I think when, you know, when your dad isn't there anymore or was never there for you, seeing someone who is, you know, the dad, they allow themselves, their heart has already been opened by the movie to, to allow me to come in and, you know, give them that hug or tell them, you know what, I think your dad would be proud of you. If he left for some reason, you know, I'll bet somewhere he wishes he hadn't done that and, or did it for reasons we'll never understand or, you know, and, you know, just help them just heal that stuff. Cause you carry it around, you know, dad could be gone for years, but you're still, acting like your dad's yelling at you and that you're never going to make anything of yourself or, you know, it's, yeah. I mean, I hate to say it's, you know, it's therapy, but it, it's, it's, to me, it's a pretty fun uh, way to do therapy. You, you, you talked in your book about your, your strained relationship with your dad. Um, it, it kind of hits home for, for me and probably for a lot of other people. How were, how were you guys able to, to make everything better before he, he passed away? 
Well, I, I, I wrote several chapters in the book about it. It was kind of a weird thing. I, I, I try to make it as brief as I can, but <clears throat> my dad was going to uh, close up the summer cottage that we went to as, as a kid, and my mom couldn't go with him, and he was in, he's like 65 at the time, and I happened to be home, which was unusual, and I said, oh, gee, I'll go with you, Dad. Let's take a road trip. So we drove two hours, and during that, I because I'd already become an actor and you do research about a character, you ask all these questions. And I thought, wow, I'm, I'm doing all this stuff about, you know, fictitious characters. I, I don't even know that much about my dad. You know, when you grow up with your dad, he's just your dad. You know, you don't think he was a young man. He was a boy. He was a, a you know, young adult. He dated other people. I mean, that was that's kind of mind blowing because, you know, your parents are always, you know, if they're together like mine were, they're they were a unit, you know, and they you just don't imagine that they ever had a life. You know? So I ended up asking my dad a lot of questions and things that and my dad was he, he had a lot of secrets because he had such a difficult childhood in the course of questioning him driving down these country roads to this place. My dad starts crying. My dad cried my life. And he was telling me about how his dad essentially had abandoned them. Now, why I would be a 25-year-old guy and not know that about my dad is, is sad that he didn't feel safe enough or didn't want to open that can of worms. But, you know, I think that era of men were like, don't tell anybody the bad stuff. It'll just make them feel bad. And You know, it was all about you know, I didn't even know my dad was sick when I went home and he died that night because nobody wanted to say, gosh, dad doesn't look that good. You know, everything was trying to, you know, make things better than they were. And, you know, and of course you can understand that these are depression era people. This is World War II, you know, kids who grew up with lots of kind of stuff. Bad news was everywhere. You didn't create more bad news by talking about feelings and all that stuff. So I understood it, but it was just amazing to me. And then, you know, then that opened it. My dad's crying. I feel terrible now. I didn't want my dad to be crying, but as a result, it ended up breaking through the barrier that had kept us separate. He couldn't tell me things because he thought they would make me feel bad. So I didn't know anything. And he felt, it felt to me like he was just being strict and, and unemotional for no reason. And so suddenly, oh, this made it all make sense to me. And what's really weird as I talk about in the book, we got down to the summer cottage where we had a creek that we used to play in. And before we left, I said, dad, will you come down to the creek with me? And I was just wanted to look at it really. But I got down there and I said, hey, dad, let's, uh, you know, I'd use the words that he always used. Let's take a dip. And he said, well, I don't have a bathing suit. And I said, neither do I, dad. Let's, let's go skinny dip. We're out in the middle of nowhere in, you know, east central Ohio. And, you know, not, not a soul for, you know, half a mile, you know. So anyway, I ended up I can't believe I'm even saying this now. I went skinny dipping with my dad. And after the, the figurative unveiling and stripping down of our problems of our relationship to then physically be stripped down and swimming in the swimming hole that we had grown up swimming in when I was a kid and he was a, you know, a young man was just kind of beautiful beyond, you know, and at the time I didn't even think about it. It was only when I was writing the book, I thought, oh my God, that's like... That, that's like, you know, you couldn't write a better story than that almost that, you know, and, and it was, it, it just, it, what it did was open my heart. You know, I thought, oh my God, my dad didn't do this to be mean to me or strict with me. He was hurt. He was an eight year old boy. He's been carrying that around with him for the rest of his, you know, for the rest of our lives together. And it just gave me so much more uh, uh, compassion and, and sympathy for him uh, that it, it was you know, almost instant, you know, I mean, my dad didn't change. He was still, you know, he was still who he was, but I changed. And and that's what's important. You know, as, as Mark Twain says, you know, when I was 20, my dad was an idiot. You know, by the time I was 40, I just, where, where did all this knowledge come from? You know, like, because, you know, you're the one that you can't see the wisdom until you're of a certain age and you're like, you know, so anyway, that, that was. And, they, and then they were right. <laughs> so yeah. Most of the time they were right. My dad was, yeah. you know, you you get I mean if you're an aware person you get smarter just by living you know and of course you can't see that as a 20 year old you think you know the all the answers and that was the old days dad you know it doesn't work that way anymore you know um, in the book you tell a lot of great stories but one um, 
I know very well. Uh, so people will, you know, you're walking around, you smell a perfume, it makes you think about an old girlfriend, or you smell a dinner, you're out uh, uh, at a dinner, you smell a food, it makes you think about somebody that, that you love, their love. You talk about smelling your baseball glove, and it's something that, that I, I was like, wow, I do the same thing. It brings back so many memories. For me, it's the the oil that I, I rubbed, the Rawlings oil that I rubbed the, the glove with. Could you tell the story about about your glove? Well, I just happened to bring it here. This is oh, awesome. My, this is my dad's baseball glove that I'm guessing his dad gave him when he was young. This is from the 30s. Johnny Moore's name on there. You can look him up. <laughs> I did. Uh, and, you know, because of my relationship with my dad, because the movie is so much about fathers and sons, and because my father died before I could watch it with him, on all my all my events that I go around to to, to fields and, and play catch with people, I, I, I bring this in. I this is the this is the mitt he taught me to play catch with. You know, and it's it, it, I have a great time showing young kids, you know, the kids who are started in little league with those big webs and I say, hey man, try this on. And they're like, oh my gosh, how did they catch with these things? You know, and all that stuff. It's very, it's very rewarding to say, and, and I, I, I sort of feel like because this is my dad's mitt, anybody who puts their hand in it is shaking hands with my dad. And this is 31 years after he died. So I don't know, it, it, it warms my heart. And, and, and even though I should probably be taking better care of this mitt, my dad would be mad at me, but we used to saddle soap bars and, and, and I, I try to take care of it in my way is, is kind of an homage, but, you know, smelling the mitt is just one of those things that. You know, there's th th this leather is not like even like new leather. This thing, you know, it has a certain sense of, you know, there's a deadness to it, but because it's so old. But to me, that smell is the smell I recognize from from having had that mitt when I was a kid until my brother and I could afford to buy our own. And it, and it, you know, it's just a touchstone, I think, really, you know, that that's what, you know, even the smell, you know, you, I, I can smell saddle soap anywhere. There's not a mitt around. But if you're, you know, someone in a tax shop and you're kind of like where's the baseball game or, or something, you know, those, those things and freshly cut grass, all those things that very easily associate with baseball and, 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 you know, even, even the movie in Iowa and, and my dad, I guess. So now baseball, there's a lot of pressure. You're up at the plate. People are watching. If you're professional, um, you only have three strikes, um, on the set, you had to catch that baseball from Kevin Costner there's, you can't see it, but there's a film crew around you. I think there was a helicopter in the air. There was a whole bunch of stuff going on. There's a lot of money probably uh, being wasted if you don't catch that ball. Could you talk about that that pressure at that time? Uh, yeah, you know what? I didn't think about it ahead of time because all I'm doing is playing catch. When I auditioned for the movie, I didn't even have to do a baseball audition like some of the other players who, who, who you know, so I thought, well, I guess they expect that I can throw and catch, you know, which was fine because you know i'd done it a million times with my brother and this this the final scene there where the helicopter pans up and you see the the car's headlights going off in the distance as much as today you do that on cgi it would take somebody you know 20 minutes to create that back then they didn't have that they that, that was three thousand local iowa farmers sitting in 1500 cars on the three miles between where the field is and the town of Dyersville. They blacked out five other baseball games that are going on because Dyersville's big in baseball. There's they 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 made the train stop so that there wouldn't be, you know, some they're trying to make it look dark and this field have the focus. So they had to black out the city itself. And the director, Phil Robinson, is talking on AM radio into the car radios. That's how he was directing people, which I think was just brilliant. He's out there saying, okay, this time, okay, start over again. We're about, we're rolling and action. Okay. And anyway, in the last take, he had people flash their lights because you couldn't get the sense that the cars were moving. So anyway, all those things that, that, you know, and there's a guy in a helicopter, there's a guy named Davy Jones, who was a famous uh, helicopter cameraman. He's hanging out of the thing, holding this million dollar camera. There's another guy adjusting the focus and, they start revving up the rotors. It's sitting in in uh, in left field, getting ready to take off. And you know, they tell us to play catch. The roto wash is like blowing us all over the place. We we thought we had one shot at this, so we had to wait for the light to be just right because it had to match the scene Kevin and I had already shot in the previous days. But it had to also be dark enough that you could see the headlights. So it was one of those you know real. The timing was of the essence, and we thought we had one take at it. We ended up getting three, but 
we thought we had one. So suddenly, just when the thing's ready to take off, I'm thinking like, oh my gosh, what if I drop the ball? Here's this whole movie that's wearing up to the father. And then, you know, Kevin looks at the ball and throws it. We're both in tears and, he, and it drops out. I'd be like, oh, what an idiot I would look like, you know, because I'm thinking, this is the shot, you know, I, they can't fix something like that, you know, but I hadn't thought of it ahead of time or I would have prepared, but people, I think uh, some people who've seen the movie say, gosh, you had a funny catching style. Well, they gave me this 50, 1950s uh, catcher's mitt that was, you know, just as solid as a rock and you couldn't even tell when the ball hit it. So, I mean, I was not going to drop that ball. So I would just be, you know, on top of that thing and get it back to Kevin, let him drop it, not me. You know, like it was it was just such a funny thing when they were spending, you know, $10,000 a minute shooting this thing. And I'm worried that I'm going to drop the ball, you know, because I played catch with my brother a billion times growing up and many other friends. You never think who cares if you drop the ball. I mean, you're trying to make a good catch, but if you don't. But here I thought, oh my gosh, I do not want to be the object of humiliation for the rest of my life. So I, I put extra pressure on me. And then when I got the first take, it was like, oh yes, I did it. And then they're saying, we're going to get another take. And I'm like, oh, anyway, I didn't drop it. It all went well, but it was just a funny thing to think about when, when I never even anticipated being worried about such a thing. Do you, do you uh, keep any souvenirs from the movies that you're, that you're in? Is that something actors would do? Oh, actors definitely like to steal whatever they can. But ah. in, uh, in Field of Dreams, like I obviously would love to have kept the uniforms, uh, but the, the uniforms were from a rental house. I believe it was Western costume. So they took them back. And, and, and just another anecdotal thing, the, the, the White Sox uniforms that the other guys wore were the same ones they'd worn the year before for eight men out. So, oh. If somebody has those, you know, probably John Cusack or, or D.B. Sweeney or, uh, you know, have worn the same uniforms that we wore. And that that's kind of cool. But uh, they didn't let us keep them. I have my hat, my, my little Yankees cap uh, and but nothing else that was even the myth that I have. You know, this is my dad's myth. They gave me a catcher's myth. I, I you know, at the time. Nobody thought that, that they were going to leave the field there. Nobody thought that that movie was going to I mean. I thought, and I think many people thought, this is such a sweet little movie, nobody's gonna go see it. There's no sex in it, there's no violence, there's no, you know, it's, it doesn't have any of the things that would be, you know, make it feel like it's gonna be a lasting movie, you know? Even once it was out, Rolling Stone said it was the worst movie of 1989. I mean, it's hard to imagine that now because it's sort of kind of, you know, made its way into the classic, uh, in, into, as a classic movie, it's in the, you know, library of Congress as a, you know, cinematic, uh, gem. But at the time, who knew that the farmer was going to say, you know what, I'm not going to plow that under and put corn back in this year. I'm going to see if anybody comes out and sure enough, they did. And then suddenly it became this symbol in this, this Mecca for baseball players, for people with, who, with, with parents that were lost, people would come and spread ashes. And I mean, I think that place has a very hallowed feel to it, even though it's just a baseball field in the middle of a cornfield, there is nothing else to do there. It looks very much like it did when we shot the movie there. It doesn't cost anything to go, but it's, mm. there's a feeling of, of just, I don't know what it's hallowed, you know? I was also in the movie Gettysburg, and obviously we, we shot that on the battlefields in Gettysburg, and they naturally have that feeling if any of you have ever, well, you're close, you know, they're in Easton. Yeah. If, if you've been there, you know, it, you can feel that, you know, Pickett's Charge, you're just like, wow, I mean, something happened here. You can, you can almost feel it. And I think in an entirely different way, Field of Dreams is also kind of getting that kind of, I don't know, deep sense of uh, deep emotional connection in the middle of a field that's, you know, that's, I mean, it's been there for 31 years now, but I think so many more people have brought memories and, and, you know, done wonderful things there that it's, uh, it's taken on some of their, their emotional life. And you go back, you, you just told me you were there last week. Yeah. Yeah. So. I was there last week. I was there in November. I mean, I'm, I'm going there a lot more in, in the, in the run up to this game in August, but I've probably been there you know, 15 or 20 times over the last 30 years, you know, uh, but it's, it's always magical. Even in the snow, I was, you know, as I was telling you, it was snow and ice and freezing cold. We, we had a catch, we took batting practice and then we, you know, our hands were like frozen. We had to go inside, but it's still just cool. You know, it's just a, it's just a neat place. 
whose idea was it? It's a great idea to have you go to to minor league stadiums and, and get to meet everybody. Well, that was also just a fluke. I wrote the book and expected to be doing, you know, book signings in bookstores. And then somebody said, well, hey, would you come to our baseball party? I think it was at Kenosha, maybe the Kenosha Kingfish in, in, in Wisconsin, just north of Chicago. One of the first people in, in the Washington Wild things that are kind of in Western PA. And they were like, would you come? And, you know, and I was like, okay. And, and then I found, you know, it suddenly became obvious. Like, of course, here's baseball fans. Most baseball fans have seen Field of Dreams and love it. So I just come there and I sit with my books. I, I, I sign anything anybody wants for free, but if they want to buy a book, I sell it to them for as cheap as they can get it online and I get to sign it for them. You know? So I don't know, it just ended up being this thing. So I, I went to 40 different stadiums from Connecticut to uh, North Dakota to Florida to, uh, you know, I've been all over the place and it's just fun everywhere I go. The feeling is the same. The you know, the people are just so happy to see somebody from the movie. I, I, I find in my years that people want a piece of that movie somehow. You know, I mean, I, it might be true of every movie, but I think in particular that one, they want to touch it somehow. Even when the farmer didn't plow his corn under, people would leave stuff. People leave their, oh, this is my dad's giant's hat, and I just want to leave it here. I'm leaving this relic of my life with you. I'm, you know, people would put... $20 bills, $100 bills under rocks in the driveway. There wasn't even a place to take money. And they're like, they want to feel like they have a piece of that experience, that movie, that whatever. So, uh, you know, it, it was just one of those things that I, I think my traveling around and people are like, what are the odds I'm going to see an actor from that movie here in, you know, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, or, you know, or, 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 you know, iron, the iron pigs, we were Lehigh Valley last year Go, going again this year. Yeah. That's what I just want to confirm. So you are coming here this year. When do you know that date yet? Uh, what is that? I just brought out here. Is it the August 28th? I think my tiny little calendar. Uh, <laughs> I just don't want to give somebody the wrong date, but yeah. Iron pigs on the 28th of August. Awesome. Yeah. And the next day I'm, I'm doing a, a event up, up closer to Scranton uh, at a winery. So for those people who don't like baseball, come up and meet me at the farm to table fabulous in, uh, up, up east of Scranton. Great. I'll get all that info. I'll put, I'll put all these links on there. Cause I'm, I'll come see you too at the iron pigs. Iron pigs is a great place to be great for families. Oh, love the game last year. Looking forward to it this year. Uh, I'll get my schedule. I don't have it completely up on my, on my uh, Facebook page and, and website, but I'll try to do that for, for fans out there who are, you know, wherever you are, it, uh, I, I'm going to be in Omaha and, and Syracuse and, and uh, a bunch of places this year. Awesome. I have a couple other questions uh, that okay. I'm just curious about. Sure. You, you mentioned CGI. Ha has that hurt the actor? Um, have oh. you felt it? Yeah, I'm not, a, I'm not a big, I don't go see movies because there's going to be great special effects in them. I mean, if I mean, it's not like they repel me, but to me, like I said, I got into this business because I wanted to learn to probe my emotions and figure out how to use my emotions to help other people or, you know, and I think too often with CGI, they rely on it too much. You know, what, what would stop, I mean, I, some people disagree with me, but what would stop, you know, you having a great CGI movie, but also have it be emotional, you know, uh, and, and cause I think emotion is what draws us in at what's it, 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 it's what opens our brains to take things in on a deeper level so that's my feeling about cgi does it you know you know i like i said it can like anything else it can be a distraction uh or 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 can be depended on too heavily but you know it, it's probably a lot more movies are being made because you can make a movie about anything i mean it'd be hard to shoot a movie about mars without cgi yeah yeah, but what would Jaws be like with with CGI, like the original Jaws? It wouldn't yeah. be the. Yeah, you know, it's kind of funny. You can look back sometimes, and you look at that. That there's moments <laughs> of that shark looks so fake, and I thought at the time, but it didn't keep me from being scared. You know, <laughs> I, was, I was a lifeguard that summer that Jaws came out, and man, you know, everybody was. I'm gonna. I was in a pool. They're saying like, are there sharks in here? I'm like, you know, it's like a. It was, you know, so. But, but that's what I'm saying, like that had a deep, deep emotional impact on somebody. And would it have if, if you know, like now they got Sharknado and that stuff's all CGI. I'd, 
you know, I don't, I don't know if it has the same weight. You know, I think there's something about Field of Dreams. You know, maybe you can't feel each one of those 3,000 farmers in their cars going back to the, but maybe you can. Maybe on some level we're astute enough as people to, to feel a human energy in there, you know, who knows? But it's, it's uh, yeah, it's not something I think, I, you know, it could be used more sparingly in my opinion. Besides Field of Dreams, which, what's your most favorite role that you've had? Oh, uh, I did an, an episode of House MD that I liked. Uh, and I was just proud of my work in it. I don't know if it was a brilliant episode. I did a, uh, a Western called Desperado um, that I just thought was fun because I got to play, I don't know. Yeah, I guess it's usually just the, the role that seems like fun. Uh, I was in a, you know, I didn't do many comedies. I always thought I was a funny guy. Like I said, I get out to Second City, but uh, I did a movie called Mom and Dad Save the World where I play King of the Idiots. Uh, Eric Idle plays my dad, and uh, I thought that was, I thought I was good in that, but, you know, the movie didn't quite, you know, go places, so, you know, it's not remembered, but, you know, that's, it was still fun to do. You know? uh, t t TVs or movies, what's, is, is there a difference for, for an uh, actor? For me, I always felt like, and this has changed somewhat, but in, in, in my heyday, it was all to me about the time and money you spend. It makes sense. When you shoot a movie, it usually be six weeks or eight weeks, sometimes three months shoot, and you'd have you know fifteen million dollars to get an hour and a half. With a TV show, you usually shoot it in a week, you know, seven days. They'll have you know maybe a million dollars. So it makes sense that if you have to write it that fast, if you only have that much money to spend on it, and if you have to get it done that fast, in general, it it's not going to be as good. I mean, you know, and that's there's exceptions to that. There's been great television made on a budget and all that kind of stuff, but. Films were more fun to work on generally because you'd shoot less pages a day, usually you know a couple pages, as opposed to you know eight or ten that you'd shoot on a on a TV show in order to get it done in that time frame. But that to me was always the thing. I always liked working in the theater. I started three theater companies and did a lot of theater work because all those mediums I think are so different. You know, you you act differently when you're gonna people are gonna be watching it, particularly now on their phones than you would if you're going to be on a big screen where your face is 40 feet high, you know, you have to take those things in consideration. And, and of course on stage, you get an immediate reaction from what you're doing and you sort of have control your performance more because you're doing it and people are seeing it. There's no editor in there who can take out your favorite moments or, or, you know, but you know, they also don't usually have, you know, beautiful orchestral scores behind you so you know it's really so different even though you'd think it's all acting it's it's so different that i always enjoyed kind of going from one to the other and and, and switching it up um what's what's the perfect day look like for you well i have a great life and so i usually i wake up you know seven ish i sit with my wife we have tea uh, we probably talk for three or four hours just in the morning, drinking tea, petting the dog, watching the birds and the neighbors, you know, uh, and, uh, gosh, my brother-in-law owns a restaurant. So, you know, if we go over there or, I mean, I'm kind of a homebody when I'm not running around the country doing this stuff. I like building things. So that's kind of fun, but I'm a, I'm a pretty good relaxer. I, I can get a lot out of just sitting. I got a, I build a, a deck behind my house that I sit on a porch swing and, you know, just watch, you know, we, yesterday we sat out there for several hours watching hawks and vultures and crows and woodpeckers. And I don't know, it's so I, I hate to be boring, but, uh, I suppose that's what it would, that's what I would do with, with my time, you know, and still do as, as much as possible. That sounds great. So yeah. what, what do you have in store for this year? Where can we find you? Gosh. Other than, than the baseball stadiums. Yeah, that, different yeah, places. I'm going to induction weekend. Uh, oh, nice. Talking about uh, having me at the All-Star weekend here in, here in at uh, Dodger Stadium. And um, I'm going to be, uh, yeah, so I'm going to be in Cooperstown. I'm, I'm going to be at the field and running up to the game in August. And then I've got the other dates around. I'm doing a screening of the movie in Omaha, Nebraska, that I'll be available to do a Q&A afterwards, which is kind of one of my favorite 
venues because I, when people have watched the movie fresh, their questions are usually pretty fresh. And not only having been there for the shoot of the movie, but having researched the book, I, I know a lot about it that, that, you know, I could talk about for hours and hours as, as you can see, I'm still going, but, um, yeah, I, uh, I mean, I, I just went to Italy. On the, who knew there was baseball players in Italy? But I just they was invited over there to do their convention just, just uh, in January. And that was just incredible to be there. And, uh, you know, hopefully there'll be more of those. I'd love to go to Japan or, or any of those places to, uh, you know, just celebrate baseball and, and, you know, just enjoy traveling. So, yeah, I'll try to get my schedule up so anybody can check and just, just look on, you know, uh, my, my um, Dwyer Brown everywhere on my social media and, and, uh, and the books, if you build it. And so that's, it's a, it's a great book. I love to read. Um, and it was a, it was a easy read. I don't know if that means anything to anybody. Um, I read it in one night. Yeah. Uh, well, I tried to write a book that I would like to read. I, I like short chapters cause you can, you know, you can plow through them and it feels like you're getting somewhere. And I tried to make it so that you'd want to read that next chapter, which is also short. And, you know, so I, I've heard that from a lot of people and, and I'm, I didn't know if it was going to be a good book, but I've got, you know, a lot of, uh, I mean, I've got almost a five star, uh, reviews on Amazon and I don't know, it's just, it's just great. Cause I, it was just something I wanted to do. I didn't know if, I, if it would be successful. And I think I, I did, I did pretty good for, for my first effort. Cool. Well, Dwight, I really appreciate it. Um, this meant a lot to me. I'm grateful. Um, and I'm, so you, so I'll see you at the Iron Pigs in, in August. Yeah. Well, so. I, yeah, I hope so. And thank you, Ryan. And I appreciate you inviting me on. Sure. Thank you so much. Yeah. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to my podcast. If you're looking for social media content for your contracting business, painting contractors, carpenters, electricians, any type of contractor, please check us out on Instagram at Amato Media or check us out on LinkedIn. We can definitely help you all out. So have a great day.